Troy, and I'm one of the servants here at Kettlebrook. I want to welcome you to one of our gatherings here. We are a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. And this morning, we are finishing up a series that we've been kind of walking through since Easter, Resurrection Sunday, talking about the power of the resurrection of Jesus, because it's not something that we should just talk about one Sunday a year. It's something we should think about and live out every single day. As we begin a little story for you, a couple years ago, uh, Sandy Giernoth, was the deputy district attorney here in Washington County. But she was appointed to the bench to serve as one of our four circuit court uh, judges. And when that happened, she reached out to me and she asked me if I would consider being a part of her investiture. And I was really glad that she asked me via email because I had to look it up because I was like, I don't know what an investiture is and I don't know if I should be a part of one or what, I don't know what to do with it. So I looked up investiture and investiture is uh, something where a person receives kind of um, an honor or is given a title or position. It actually comes from a Latin word vestire, which means to clothe or to dress. And so in this case, the idea of investiture for her was the idea of her taking on the robe and putting on the judge's robe, if you would. Okay, in fact, uh, what was interesting about this is that it was during COVID, so we actually weren't able to do it in person. We had to do this paper investiture where those who were going to speak there kind of had to write out what they were going to say, 
Um, and, and so I had a chance to do that. But just to show you a picture of, that was the, the first page of her investiture. That's uh, Judge Giernoth. And so she was in, invested, if you would, vested with the robe of a judge. Now, my guess is that every one of us in this room has been a part of an investiture or seen a, an investiture of some kind. Probably not like a knighting, although that would count, like someone being made a knight or a coronation of a king. But just think of something as simple as a graduation right? We're in graduation season, and pretty soon, the next couple of weeks, many of, of, of our youth are going to be wearing robes, right? And they're going to have this robe, and they're going to maybe get some different cords or the thing that you put on. I don't remember what it's called, but you know the things we're talking about. Hoods. They're called hoods. Yeah, thank you. Um, it, that's kind of an example of an investiture. So my guess is that we've all been a part of an investiture like that. What you might not know is that if you follow Jesus... There is a promise that we are given, and that is that we will receive an eternal investiture. We will be clothed with honor. And that's what we're going to take a look at today as we look at 1 Corinthians 15. I would invite you at this time to grab a Bible. There's underneath your, your chairs uh, and turn to page 815, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be reading just the last uh, eight verses or so and conclude this chapter. And those of you who have been following along as we've been going, uh, some of you are new today or maybe here for the first time, 1 Corinthians is a letter. It was written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul was a guy who hated Christians, was actually like a terrorist trying to kill Christians until he met the resurrected Jesus Christ. His life was turned upside down, and he became an ambassador to Jesus everywhere that he went, including the ancient city of Corinth, where a church was formed of followers of Jesus. And he is now writing letters after he has left back to them to continue to instruct them in the ways of Christ. And what scholars call these last few verses is a, a hymn of victory. It's a hymn of victory. And we're going to take a look at this together. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read verses 50 through 58. And I always appreciate the opportunity to stand as we read the Word of God. So why don't we stand together as we read God's Word. I'm going to pray first. Gracious Lord, thank you for your Word. More than anything that I would say, would this be what you use by your Spirit? You promised that you would not return it void. So may it be like a knife, a sword, able to discern between the bone and the joint, the sinew and the marrow, and convict us by your Spirit using these words, not mine. I pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Here we go. Chapter 15, verses 50 through 58 say this. I declare to you, brothers, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is God's word. Amen. Why don't you have a seat? 
Now before we dig into this, we do this uh, almost every week, just give you a chance to look at the scripture again. On this next slide, you'll see it all on there at once. Uh, Debbie, just read it again quick and ask yourself the question, what sticks out to you or what questions maybe does this make you have? So I have you turn and talk to someone about that. What sticks out to you or what questions does this raise for you? And then we'll jump into it together. So go ahead and turn and talk to someone near to you about that. All right, thank you for just connecting on that for a, a minute or so. Paul has arrived here to the climax of his 58-verse chapter on the resurrection, and we find in verse 50, he says, look, I declare to you that, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And I want to stop here and talk about this, because last week we talked about this at length, this idea that at the time in Corinth, they were wrestling with the idea of, is the resurrection real? Did the resurrection really happen? What is it going to look like? Because our, our fleshly bodies... And spiritual reality, how do those things, it's like oil and water, they don't mix. They don't seem to mix. And, and Paul made a case last week, it, he's like, no, 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 we, they definitely do. Like, we know that we'll be raised with bodies because Jesus was raised with a flesh, like he was, he was, he had a body. And so will it be with us as well. Now the question that this raises as I was studying this week is like, wait a minute, Paul, I thought you said these things do work well together and now you're saying this. The perishable can't inherit the imperishable. So is Paul contradicting himself? I'm going to say the answer is no, but I need you to hold that thought because he doesn't answer it right away. He's going to come back to it for us. What I want to jump into next, though, is him saying, look, this is all, the resurrection's a mysterious thing. He's like, I, I, I just know that we're going to be like Jesus. What it's going to look like, I'm not exactly sure, but what I can tell you, Paul says, is it's going to happen like that. It's going to happen quickly, Okay. So it's going to happen in an instant. If you are a follower of Jesus, you probably could join me in saying that following Jesus is a journey. Can I get an amen to that? So, I mean, I've been following Jesus, trying to follow him for over 20 years. And today, like this day, I'm still, there's still things I am growing in today. I'm going to be convicted by the Spirit of God today and continue to be in this process of what's called sanctification. Just a big word that means becoming more like Jesus. 
Now, Paul, but Paul's saying, look, this, this, the idea of sanctification in a journey, that is very different than the idea of resurrection at the consummation, which will be like this. In fact, he uses uh, a phrase like the twinkling of an eye. Why don't you look at someone next to you and just show them the twinkling in your eye? Just show them. It's so beautiful. Okay. There it is. There's the twinkle. Okay, now, so he, you guys are really liking this. You should twinkle at each other all the time. So it's really just a poetic way of saying blinking, okay? He's really just saying it's as fast as a blink. He just uses a poetic way to say it. Now, the power behind blinking is it's very fast. It's so fast that you have not been thinking about the fact that you've been blinking. Have you? Until I said it, now you're like, oh, I do that. I do that thing all the time. That's how fast it happens, right? And that's the case that he is trying to make here. When the resurrection comes, it will be fast, and we will be changed. So then he comes back in verses 53 and 54 to, I think, help us answer the question around this whole flesh and blood inheriting the kingdom of God. And I want to use a more literal translation because the version we read doesn't show it like this next version does. This is the NASB, more literal. And this phrase, put on, is in there four times. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. Put on, put on. It's in there four different times. And this phrase is a Greek word that means to dress or to clothe. And I just want to show you three other times in the New Testament where we see this word used. Because I think you'll find it fascinating. I did. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus is quoting, is quoted when he's giving the, like, the most popular sermon he's ever given, the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, hey, don't worry. We see it in this next slide. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, what you will put on. That's the same word that Jesus uses that Paul has in here four times. Paul uses it in a couple other letters as well. If we look at the letter that he wrote to the church in Galatia, he writes this. He says, you're all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed, put on Christ. You've clothed yourselves with Christ. Put on. This is the same word Paul uses four times. And then to the church in Colossae, he wrote these words. He says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And so, so when it comes to resurrection, it's not that we're getting rid of our fleshly bodies, okay? Paul's saying, no, no, that's not how it works. You don't just try to slough off the body. He's saying something's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye, it's going to happen. We'll be changed, but we'll put on the immortal. We'll put on the imperishable. Uh, a number of years back, my kids wanted us to dress up as a family like Big Hero 6, okay? And, and if you're not familiar with the movie, the Disney movie, and I got to be Baymax because that's because I'm the dad, I guess, but it, it, just, it just fit. Now, I brought this costume in here for you so you can kind of get a feel for this. You remember the Baymax? Have you guys seen Baymax, the big Hero 6? There, there. We fell out a window. Now, it's not a little small. So, this has a little machine that you put on it, and then it like blows up in this hole, but I just don't have time to blow it up. So you just need to imagine with me, okay? So this was Baymax. And you're like, I think my pastor right now literally has like a jumbo suit on when he's teaching. 
That is crazy. So I'm just trying to give you a visual, an image. I didn't take my clothes off. I put this on. I, I put this suit on over. And so Paul, I think, is saying, look, the perishable will be clothed with the imperishable. The mortal that we have will be clothed, put on, the immortality will be put on over this. This is, I think, the point that he's making. And when this happens, at the consummation, at the last trumpet, which is what we read of in Revelation chapter 11, the apostle John writes about the last trumpet there, twinkling that boom, that will be clothed, put on these things. And then, then death, where is death's victory? Gone. Where is death's sting? Gone. And Paul comes back around to explain, how do, how do we get clothed like this? And he does, it in, he does it in one sentence. He shares the gospel in one sentence. So, I, I don't think you can take me seriously uh, while I'm wearing this. So, I gotta, it's very important what we're about to share. It's the gospel in one sentence. So, I'm going to take this off again. Is that fair? I want to, Joe, if you can put up the, um, the next slide with a graphic. So, I want to show you this graphic because this is what Paul says, the gospel in one sentence. He says, look, the law leads to sin's power. Troy, what does that mean? Here's what it means. I hear people all the time like, well, I'm not perfect. Well, I, know, I know, I'm not either. How do you know you're not perfect? Well, because we know what's right, we know what's wrong, and we don't always do the right things. Amen? Okay? So the law is there to actually remind us of the fact that we can't keep it. And Paul wrote himself, he said, the things that I want to do, I can't do them. The things that I want to stop doing, I can't stop doing them. Okay, the law leads to sin's power, and sin's power leads to death. Sin leads to death, here's why. If you want to imagine the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, with your sinful self and my sinful self there, it, we've just ruined it. That's why God's like, you can't have that. You can't have sin in his kingdom. And so sin's power leads us to, to guilt, to shame, and to fear, which ultimately leads us into death. But, huge but, but thanks be to God. Why? Because he gives us the victory. How? Through Jesus Christ. Let me just make sure we get this clear. How do we get the victory? Through Jesus. How do we get the victory? Okay, like, this is really important. We do not earn the victory. That's the gospel, okay? The, the victory is bestowed upon us. We are clothed with the victory of Christ. And, and, and that's what happens to us. Now, when I say us, uh, very important, who is us? Is it everybody? No, it's not. Sadly, it is not everybody. The victory, God gives the victory to those who do not claim to be the victors themselves. God gives the victory to those who are not claiming their own victory. This is what the gospel is. It's not trusting in ourselves to be good enough according to the world's standards or according to God's standards. The good news of the gospel is the victory that Jesus won over the law because he completely obeyed it perfectly. The gospel is the good news of Jesus and his victory over, over sin because he was tempted like us in every single way, was yet without sin. That's his victory. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus overcame death by his resurrection. 
And so what happens is the good news of Jesus is that basically Jesus put on some things. He put on mortality by coming in the flesh. He put on perishable by coming in the flesh. He put on our sin, your sin, my sin on the cross. And he put on death by being killed. But then here's what he does. If we trust in him and we say thank you for what you have done, he says, I'm going to clothe you with my clothes. I'm going to give you the clothes that I deserve to wear. I'm going to give you an investiture that I have with all glory and honor. He imparts to us his imperishable. He puts on us the immortality that he deserves. He, he gives us the inheritance that he alone earns and has deserved. That's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Him putting on all of our junk and giving us an investiture that we don't deserve and can't earn. Do you understand that? If you don't, um, you may not be thankful for it. Because he says, how do we respond? Thanks be to God because he's given us the victory through Jesus Christ. That victory changes everything. It changes everything, amen? Victory. This is the hymn of victory. This is the culmination of 58 verses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Been walking through it for five weeks. And then uh, as I was looking at this scripture this week, I was saying, okay, how do we apply this? And I was like, look at Paul, you're amazing. I don't have to apply this. He tells us exactly how to apply it. In verse 58, he writes this. Therefore, after all this, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so we have these three applications. Stability, intentionality, and certainty. This is, what we, this is how we apply this whole chapter and these last verses. Now, I want to walk through each of these three things, but I, I want to stop talking. And I want to let somebody else who is living this out in a victorious way help us apply this text to our lives today. Um, she is a dear sister of Christ, in Christ of ours. Her name is Dana Lazowski, and she's going to help me apply this text. Can we give a warm Kettlebrook welcome to Dana Lazowski? So Dana, um, for those who are here this morning and are kind of like, I don't know who this Dana is, um, can you help us figure out why I asked you to help apply this text this morning and what's the backstory, what's the context in that we're, why we're sitting here? Okay. So 12 years ago, I was diagnosed with um, stage four inflammatory breast cancer. I went through nine months of treatment and was declared cancer-free. Um, Fast forward 12 years, um, I was a survivor, and um, last fall, I started experiencing some back pain. I thought it was just stress-induced muscle pain, so I started going to physical therapy, and um, after working for a few months with my therapist, he's like, something is not right. So my oncologist ordered an MRI, and um, we found out that cancer was all in my spine. Um, it had crushed several of my vertebrae, and in my rib cage and in my skull. And so my cancer was back and it was considered metastatic breast cancer because it had moved somewhere else. And um, there's no cure. So I'm going to die from this, my doctor said. Um, so we aren't sure how much time I have, but any treatment they give me, I'm on some chemo medication, um, I get some shots, and those are just to ease, ease the pain and give me um, a little bit longer to live. 
And so if you, if you didn't know that story, and that's a very short and abbreviated version mm-hmm. of it. Um, and Dana is actually pretty tired this morning. I just want to give her that, that leeway. She actually was at one of her son's weddings yesterday. Um, and so praise God for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I got married. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dana, you know, I reached out to you. I said, Dana, I, I really want to do this with you. I would love to have you help us apply these scriptures and these applications that Paul concludes with. The first thing we talked about was the, the idea of stability and standing firm, not being wavered. It seems as though if we don't have a strong foundation, when the wind blows and when the storms come, um, we're swept away in those things. What, help us to understand how do you internalize Paul's words to stand firm and let nothing move you? What was your reaction to hearing that you have you know, a disease with, with a terminal disease, no, no cure? Mm-hmm. Um, so at first, I, um, I was like, well, we can do this. You know, I'm, this, is, this is fine because we did this before. And then I'm like, wow, <laughs> I'm probably going to die from this. And so it was kind of an up and down thing. And I would cry and I would mourn the things that I'm probably going to miss. Um, I have two boys who are married now and I have a nine-year-old. And um, wow, I'd really like to be around for, for more things. Um, and then I just kind of had to come to the place where I um, had to make a decision. Um, I could either like curl up and pout and say, this is really not fair. Or I could say, all right, I can't do this, but God, you can use this, and I am going to figure out how to finish well. Um, So I think when you face something that's hard, and all of us do or have or will, um, you kind of have to rely on what you know about God. Um, I know that God is a God that keeps his promises. He's faithful. He promises to never leave me. Um, So completely relying on those promises and knowing that he's not going to fail me um, has made all the difference. Um, I think instead of asking, why is this happening to me, um, asking the who. If I trust that God is good and that he is faithful, then I don't need to ask why. Um, he's the one who's writing my story. I'm not in charge. And so if he um, thinks that this is going to bring glory to him, then this is the path that I am going to walk because it's the, it's the story that he's writing in my life. Um, does it make him less good when bad things happen? No, not at all. He didn't design us to have diseases and, and death and, and mental you know, health issues. That's not how he designed the world, but sin and the enemy um, brought that. So in my lifetime, what I've found, whenever I face something really, really hard, um, suffering brings incredible intimacy with God. Mm. When, when things are just kind of rolling along and everything's fine, it's so much easier just to like walk past him and, oh, you know, thanks God for this and just keep living. But when you are in a place where the only person that can save you is God and you're in incredible pain and, and you're in despair mm. and you feel the weak, weak, weakest, weaker than you've ever felt, you're like, okay, God, I need you. I desperately need you. And I feel like that's where he wants us as his children to be because then he can really teach us and draw us close. Mm. 
It's in that, in that clinging, mm -hmm. right? The clinging mm -hmm. to him. Yeah. It's very secure there. The yes. stability piece. Yeah. Yeah. We talk, so we talked about stability, standing firm. Mm -hmm. uh, the second application is this idea of intentionality, right? Um, always give yourselves fully to the Lord. Uh, some, some would translate abundantly, enthusiastically, mm -hmm. giving yourselves every day. N not someday going, well, someday I'm going to do that. But saying now, today is the day for me to be intentional about giving myself fully to the work of the Lord. We, um, we were studying together this week. There was a quote that we both really appreciated from, from Ken Bailey's work, which I think we have on this next, on this next slide. He says, uh, Paul could have written, let us wait with patience as we look to the future with hope, confidence, and joy, anticipating these great final events. But for Paul, the resurrection, all that it means for the future, rightly understood, empowers believers to serve the risen Lord in the present. Believers in Jesus as Lord were not part of a movement quietly awaiting its end. The gospel of the resurrection is not an escape mechanism from this life that left people passively anticipating the next. Paul was interested in the now. So, Dina, um, when we think about intentionality, I know you've always been intentional, but th this is another level of intentionality. Um, how are you living differently now that you've been diagnosed this way? Mm -hmm. Um... The first thing I think that happened is I realized how much time I've wasted in my life um, just on things that don't matter, whether it was worrying about something or being angry about something or, um, and really the only things that matter are gloriously focus my time. And now I tell God shows us his, just himself, opportunities, grateful heart, um, I talk about death. I can remember being younger and being like, you know, I want to go to heaven someday, but not yet. I'd like to experience some things. And now it's like, I, I just want, I want to be there. And um, basically, we, we weren't created to be here. So if you're a child of God, and which I am, I, I'm created for heaven. And that's where I'm going to spend eternity. So just being excited about being there and talking about it. Um, we've started reading some books with our, our nine-year-old. Um, he and I just finished C.S. Lewis, um, his Chronicles of Narnia. And The Last Battle is the last book. And um, it's about end times and about the coming of Christ. And it's just the images in there that C.S. Lewis writes are just so amazing and make you want to be there. Um, We've also started reading, um, Randy Alcorn has a book called Heaven for Kids, and in it, kids like ask questions, and the author answers them using scripture. And um, Jackson has become excited about heaven. He knows he's going to be there with me someday. Um, so it's just in our, in our um, culture of our home. Um, I've also started reading a really powerful book called The Art of Dying by Rob Mall. Um, I have a quote that I wanted to share from that. Um, he says, we avoid death or even fear it because death is an evil, the horrible rending of a person from her body, from loved ones. Yet death is also a mercy. It is the final affliction of life's miseries. This riddle of death's evil and its blessing is not difficult to solve. We enact it every Good Friday as we recall the evil of Christ's death to be followed on Easter Sunday with the joy of his resurrection. There is no evil so great that God cannot bring joy and goodness from it. Death deserves our attention in life because we instinctively want to avoid it, to turn our face away. It is good to look death in the eye and constantly remind ourselves that our hope is in God who defeated death. 
So we already know that we're on the victorious side, mm -hmm. and that's what makes it exciting. Um, the other really neat thing that has come out of living with eternity in mind is caring much more about lost people. Um, I was sharing with you that Jackson um, ran up to me the other day, and he's like, Mom, I have an emergency. I'm like, what is it? And he said, I think my friend might be going to hell, and I want him to be in heaven with me. So I need to have a small group, <laughs> and I need to have him over, and we need to talk about Jesus. I need to share with him. And just that urgency is, is I think, where we as believers, we lose that sometimes. Like, hey, we're, we're living, and we know we're going to heaven, but who else is not, and who else is lost that we can, you know, share the, the hope of Jesus? Um, my goal is to go where God is already working, not, not create my own agenda and what I want to get accomplished, but join in where God is already working. Um, I know this sounds trite, but I do try to live every day like it's my last. Not one of us in here is promised tomorrow. We're not even promised the next hour. We are all terminal. And I think that's what's been such like an aha moment for me. I should have been living like this my entire life because um, none of us are promised. We don't know when we're going to die. We are all going to die. That's a promise. Um, we don't know when. And um, so recently I was talking to someone at the Social Security office and um, she's like, well, would you like to put everything in, in your husband's name? It'll just kind of relieve. He won't have to worry about that. You know, after you die, then he won't have to transfer the name to his after I got off the phone, I kind of laughed. I'm like, well, he could get in a car accident tomorrow, and then I would have to transfer it into my name. Like, there, there's no, we're not promised um, tomorrow. I think a lot more about how I want to be remembered, too. Um, so right after I was diagnosed, after kind of doing the whole crying and pouting thing, I'm like, you know what? I am going to plan my funeral service. So it's done, and nobody else has to worry about it. So I planned it out and put it on a Google Doc, and I shared it with my two older boys. A couple hours later, one of them called me, and um, he's like, Mom, this celebration service, this looks really neat. It's like super evangelistic. When, when are you going to be speaking at this, and, and when can we come? <laughs> I was like, honey, it's my funeral. I'm not going to be there. And he's like, oh... And I just, it really, it hit me, because I'm like, why do we wait for our funeral to, like, have our story be told, and, and how much we love Jesus, and, oh, this is how she lived her life. That should be happening now, like, not after we're gone. Um, so something else, I have another quote from the Art of Dying book. Um, Rob Mall says, so when we do that, when we prepare for death over a lifetime, we will have truly set our minds on heaven. The church, more than anything else, is a community that believes in the resurrection of the dead. First, that of our Lord Jesus Christ, to be followed by the resurrection of those who believe in him and the recreation of the world. Our faith has this world consequences in how we treat our neighbors, how we behave at work, how we relate to our families, how we care for loved ones nearing death. If our faith has any earthly consequence, then certainly it should affect how we practice our deaths. Mm. Amen. Amen. So we talked about, Dina, we talked about stability, we talked about intentionality. Um, the last application that we talked about uh, listing was the idea of certainty. Mm -hmm. For you know your labor in the Lord is not in mm -hmm. vain. 
And, and one of the things that struck me is last week we talked about the opportunity to serve in the school district as either bus drivers or ambassadors. We had Lance here and, and talked through that. And I asked people to maybe put Connect cards in if they want to be a part of that. And so I got some Connect cards, praise God, for those who, um, who did that. What I wasn't anticipating was this Connect card, this one that came in. It says Dana Lazowski on it. And so um, Dana, and I was thinking about this, I'm going, if, if someone would say, well, isn't it in vain that you would at this stage sign up to be an ambassador? Um, what would you, how would you respond to them? What would you say? Um, I would say nothing I do is in vain if I'm doing it for the Lord. Mm. No, nothing is wasted. No time is wasted that I'm loving people, investing in people, um, spending time just sitting and, and reading the word, being outside, being thankful for God's creation. None of that time is wasted. Um, we have such a short time on earth. It's, it's described as like a vapor, a mist. In the grand scheme of things, in the grand story that God's writing, we are just this little blip. And I want to make my life count. I want that little blip and that little vapor to, to count and to make a difference. Um, I'm honestly, I've talked to several people, I'm not sure how people do this without Jesus. Because it is hopeless. Cancer's horrible. I'm in pain a lot of the time. I, I'm sick. I, I'm going to die. Like, that is, that's heavy stuff. Mm -hmm. And there is no hope if I don't know Jesus and know where I'm going and why I'm here. I am here to glorify him and to love people. And that is just, that's, it's, it's as clear as it gets. Um, the reason that I have that hope is because I am a child of God. My job is to rest in that, accept that, be obedient, and glorify him. He doesn't need to, but he chooses to use me. He doesn't need to use me, but he chooses to use each one of us if we're willing to be used by him. Um, Troy also, we, we found this really neat quote um, about this. Um, it's hope is hearing the music of the future. Faith is dancing to it today. So I'm just excited to join in wherever God is working and God can use me. Can we praise God? Can we praise God? Can we praise? Um, Dana just shared for 10, 15 minutes. If you would like, there is on this next um, slide, Joe, I have this next slide. It has a, a QR code. It should. That's a link to a one-hour-long podcast that Dana did. And if, if, you're, if you want to hear more of how God is using her in this part of her story, uh, check that out. The QR code will take you to the link of that, of, that, um, of that place. So, Dana, can you, I want to ask you to pray for us in closing as we close this. Okay. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day, the beauty in it, all of the amazing um, people that you've brought here today. It's by your design. You are the author. And God, we're just so thankful to be living this life that you have given us because it is a gift. I pray, God, over us that each one of us, even when we're tired and when we're unfocused, God, that you would just remind us that every single thing we do, if we are standing firm in you, is not wasted. No time is wasted when we are serving you, loving you, loving others. God, please, please give us the strength um, that we need, your strength, to do that every day. Thank you. In your name, amen. Amen.
next song we're going to do is called Christ Be Magnified. Um, and I, it's a new song, and I was asked to help lead it at the women's conference. And there are so many things that I could share about this song, but I've been praying this week about what I, what I should share. And the thing that kept coming to mind was the word magnified. And I kept thinking that um, when you put something under a magnifying glass, it doesn't change what it is. It doesn't change the size of what it is, but it makes it bigger for us to see. So God doesn't change. He is who he is. He is not changing. And putting him under a magnifying glass so he's bigger doesn't change who he is or what he looks like. He is constant. But when we um, serve him and love like he asks us to, our lives magnify who he is. And other people, um, my prayer is that other people then will see Christ in us. Um, so it's a newer song. You might not know it, um, but I just pray that you would um, pray these words um, and sing with us. Will you stand, please? Yeah. 
Uh, you may be seated. Uh, good morning. I'm Grandpa Steve. Uh, just want to introduce you real quickly to our turn and talk time. If we could have those questions, Joe, that would be just great. Uh, our custom here is you turn to the person on your left or right, and as we did at the beginning, just ask these three questions, and then we will have that time of sharing. So they're not there. They're coming. He's working on them. So if you just take that for a moment and uh, share that together, and then I'll come back up. All right, should we try one more song? Can we do that? And then we'll go to the turn and talk. That'll give Joe a little bit more time. Good, let's do that next song, please. You don't have the turn and talk questions. <laughs> okay, good. All right, well, we're gonna go on and just keep going. Um, because that's what we do when we don't have turn and talk questions. So, good. Um, as I said, I'm Steve Farina, and glad to just have you here with us this morning. Welcome those of you watching on the live stream at home. Um, our vision, Kettlebrook Church, we are a family of followers helping others follow Jesus. A family of followers of Jesus helping others to follow Jesus. We believe in the good news of Jesus and that it hits on three essential aspects. Our eternal relationship with God the Father, our everyday, everyday submission to Jesus himself, and our being empowered today by the Spirit to share the good news of Jesus with everyone. And I think Dana gave us a tremendous motivation of how we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit this week so that we can talk with people about the good news of Jesus, and the hope of eternity with him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we have been transformed because of you. The hope of the resurrection is magnificence. And we're so grateful for what you accomplished on the cross. Why? Why? Why would you come from heaven? Why would you leave your throne? Why would you come to earth and be in these broken bodies? And why would you take your place on a cross for me to suffer the shame and the humiliation that I deserved and you took it in my place? Why? Why? And it's because you're good. It's because you're good. And in this broken body, you will take that mortality and it will be swallowed up by life, as Troy said, in the twinkling of an eye. And even if we're facing cancer, we can have the joy of our salvation and put our hope in the resurrection that's going to come. Lord, I just want to thank you for Dana. I want to thank you for her testimony, for Tony, for their family. Oh, God, I pray that you'd continue to give Dana incredible strength in the face of the pain. 
And Lord, I pray that we would learn and just be encouraged from her example to live each day to the fullest as if today were our last. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Because as she said, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Lord, I pray for Dana and for Tony that they would, that Dana would finish her race so well, so well, and that you'd continue to use her to speak of your goodness and your glory. And Lord, I, I just want to dedicate myself and I, all of us want to dedicate ourselves to be more fully useful to you. We want to be your willing servants. We want to follow Dana's example because our time is short. And we want to share your good news with the people within our community. Oh, God, use us today. Transform our hearts. We confess our sin before you, and we just ask that you would fill us with your fullness and your goodness and your power. We don't want to live in vain. We want to have the confidence in your resurrection and what you will accomplish in us. Oh, Jesus, you are so good to us. Why, why, why would you be so good? Can't believe that you would surrender yourself for our sake, but we're so grateful that you did. We look forward to all that you're going to accomplish in us in these next days and weeks. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. We give ourselves back to you dedicate ourselves to you again today that we may follow you with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength you're so good love you Jesus thank you we bless you in your holy name amen would you stand and sing please
thank you so much for worshiping with us this day. Um, just want to remind you that if you are not receiving the weekly announcements, just write uh, in, at info at kettlebrook.org in, in order to receive those, or you can call the church office and we'll be sure that you get those. Next Sunday, May 29th, is the fifth Sunday. So here in the gathering space, there'll be a small group leading a time of prayer. If you'd like to be part of that, there'll be another small group that will be in the kitchen preparing meals that will be going to the three firehouses here in West Bend and also to people in need. Then we need 20 people who would help us at Habitat for Humanity at the ReStore. If you could let me know by this Tuesday, the 24th, that you'd like to be part of that team. Two weeks from today, June 5th, we start our Sunday schedule where you have the 9 o'clock service in West Bend, 10 o'clock in Jackson, no 10.30 gathering, okay, in West Bend. So just the 9 o'clock gathering here in West Bend. There'll be child care for ages infant to going into kindergarten, okay? Infant, infant to 4K or just going into uh, kindergarten in the fall. Would you receive the benediction for today? May the, you know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings being conformed to his death in order that you might attain to the resurrection of the dead. We have hope and faith in the resurrection in that twinkling of the eye when we will put on life eternal. Go into the world and be that difference. Thanks for being with us today. Well, thanks for joining us this morning and worshiping with us virtually. We'd love for you to take a next step. Uh, maybe that's joining a group. Maybe that is serving in some way, but some way in a family of faith near you taking a step beyond the virtual gathering. Yeah, what we read in scripture is that the body is meant to build one another up into the fullness and maturity of Christ. And that cannot happen really alone. We don't find uh, lone wolf Christians, if you would, in the New Testament. And so we would so strongly encourage you to engage in your local faith community where you are or here in the body at Kettlebrook Church. We'd love to have you take a next step in that way. So God bless and hope to see you soon.